The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Finally, an FCS versus an FCS game week for ETSU on the road at Austin P. And we're going to talk all things Austin P. We're going to talk to the governor's play-by-play man, Brian Reeves, and pick six. We will do all that coming up on the Jane Keith Show. Indeed. Also, I want, I want to talk about ETSU soccer. Okay. Women's soccer, as we have this conversation, women's soccer senior day is tonight at 6 o'clock. They will honor five seniors, including a couple of uh, very tenured vets. Uh, Taylor Limperville uh, among those uh, who will be honored tonight. She has been a major piece of ETSU's back line. Um, and uh, Emma Arnold also uh, honored in her final non-conference home game. They do it at the end of conference play. I like that because it's better weather for Senior Day. You know, you're, you're typically going to get better weather at the in, in you know mid September than you are in late October or November. It's a little bit more of a, a roll of the dice. It could get a little bit colder. It's not as fun. I like being able to do that when it's warm outside. So uh, Senior Night, six o'clock, ETSU uh, men's soccer got a win two nil over Radford last night. Chris McKenna, fellow Glaswegian, like his, uh, his head coach David Lilly. Gets the first goal, and then David Kovacic with his first goal since October 18, 2019, when he was a Maryland Terrapin and a college freshman. Big one for him. He wanted it badly. He uh, he had he had three shots. I think the goal was actually his fourth shot, and his final shot of the of the night. But uh, he wanted that one in the worst way. You could tell he sensed his opportunity. Went out there and took it. And I tip my cap to David because he has been challenged for his spot. Louis Solkeld has made uh, a really strong push as a true freshman to play in a central midfield role that would put Kovacic on the bench. And David has responded to that very positively. He's rolled up his sleeves. He's worked harder. Uh, kind of a so what, now what, or nobody cares, work harder mindset from him. And I think that's uh, just really commendable. And it's kept him on the field. And it got him the chance to score that goal. And Solkeld is still finding ways to play and get on the field and make an impact. So uh, it's working out really well for them. It's working out really well for the team. And uh, the Bucks on the road Saturday night. Here comes Saturday night. They are at Presbyterian, who's had uh, about a week-long layoff. Uh, but men's soccer yet to play a conference game. I think it's going to be the usual suspects, you know, UNCG, maybe off to a rough start, but they've scheduled pretty aggressively. So I was going to ask you that because if you just blindly look at standings and non-conference, which, again, we talk about in basketball when we kind of turn the page a little bit there. There's just not a lot of football, especially football. For the most part, the formula is you play either one by game mm-hmm. um, or – well, generally, I think everybody in the league right now this year has a bye game. So everybody has a bye game. Then there's either two schools of thumb. You play two FCS or one FCS and one down. But even so, some of those appointments aren't all equal. Right. So there's still a little bit, but it's it's not as extreme as we've seen in some of the basketball non-conference schedules and teams. So taking that into account, if you just look at one, three, and two for UNCG, but they played California, Maryland, Louisville. 
Yeah, those aren't easy. No. Um, you know, they tied with Campbell, they beat Charlotte, and then Davidson uh, got them one there, which is always, again, a private school there in Charlotte that has been, for the most part, back in the Southern Conference days, they were a pretty formidable team in uh, men's soccer as well. So, I mean, then they still got Penn State and West Virginia, Coastal Carolina's on the schedule. West so, Virginia's pretty good. Uh, I mean, if, it's going to be one of those things where, like, that record may not uh, see what it is. If people, oh, well, you know, maybe UNCG is the as you As you rattle off their non-conference schedule, there are two top five teams on that list. Louisville is number five, and West Virginia is number four. Cal's usually pretty good. Penn State should be okay. I mean, they are they are playing a power conference schedule in the non-conference, basically. This is a uh, you know Coastal's going to be pretty good more often than not. This is a challenging slate for sure that they're playing. So I, I look at you know one three and two and I go, I mean you're surviving it. You're getting better, and that's going to test you and have you ready for the big ones that count when you get into conference play. Then you look at Mercer at 3-1-2. I'll, I'll read the schedule you react. So they played Cal State Fullerton and lost 6-1 in, in a tournament in Evansville. That's not great. Uh, they knocked off Southern Indiana 2-0, beat South Florida 2-0, uh, beat Jacksonville 2-1, tied Wisconsin. They tied at Bradley, and they've got Winthrop, Georgia Southern, Utah Valley before they jump into the playoffs. I guess they got a couple non-conference lips from uh, I think UNCG is a better team than Mercer. Based on that. Right. Again, Based on that. I, you know, we talk about it. It's so hard sometimes in the non-con. Again, football plays, I, I, I think, plays I, many games. If, if you flip their schedules, I think UNCG would probably be 4-1-1 one, and, one, and uh, maybe even 4-0-1. Oh, and, and Mercer would not have a – they would be 0-5-1 oh, maybe. So, and again, men's soccer because there's only the, the six teams, right? Uh, it's just there's a, not a lot of room for error in yes. uh, league play. But, again, uh, you know, unless you're UNCG, which has gotten uh, some at-large. Um, the Southern Conference has had some at-large before, so it's not totally without the realm of possibility getting at-large. But still, for some of those teams right there in the middle of the pack, you know it's, it's going to come down to how can you position yourself with the way that that is to get that one or two seed, to get a home game, and then who knows yeah. what happens and then host that championship. We would have had to have beaten Kentucky and or North Carolina to get an at-large. I think the I think it's going to be one bid this year, uh, but it's going to be a really, really high-quality one bid, and the team that makes it is going to be really, really good. Uh, ETSU women's you, – you pull up the women's soccer standings. Uh, ETSU, with a win tonight, will have its best seven-game start since 2015. When they went five and two, they will be four, one and two through seven games with a win tonight over USC Upstate, which is a pretty good team. They have the preseason offensive player of the year and goalkeeper of the year in the Big South, and they were picked second in that conference. So if they win this game, that's a that's a really nice feather in the cap uh, as they get ready to wrap up non-conference play here in the next few days. Um, but it, it is you're right; it's a totally different sports, very different scheduling dynamics. People look at North Carolina in the home and go, oh, my God, well, I've got North Carolina in the home. It's like, yeah, that happens. This is, this is That happens in college soccer because they're just, there aren't as many teams. There are only 200, there are about 210 men's soccer Division One teams. And so they have to schedule home and homes with mid-majors still uh, to, to get games in. And um, as a result of that, you get access to some really great marquee opponents that in 
men's basketball, even women's basketball, are going to be really, really tough to get into your building. Typically, they are more inclined to pay a team that's only going to win seven or eight games that year to come get their brains bashed in by 40 points so that they can have a nice home game and not have to travel and maybe also have an extra win on their postseason resume. But, uh, yeah, soccer is a little bit of a different beast. And that's why that's part of why I love it. I, I just feel like it's, it, it's closer to what we all hope college athletics will be. But speaking of soccer numbers, I mean, men's soccer, uh, there is some conference realignment scuttlebutt. There is now um, a, 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 a prevailing, I'll call it speculation, that College of Charleston may be moving to the A-10. I don't know if there will be an announcement. Because you remember what happened the last time the CAA had a school that was leaving? It was JMU, right? And JMU, they said, okay, well, uh, the heck with you guys. You're not going to represent our conference in postseason play. And so they made their basketball teams ineligible for the NCAA tournament. If that happened at College of Charleston, I'm pretty sure it would be like the ninth-ranked fire of Charleston, um, especially this year, given the caliber of team they're going to have. So I wouldn't expect anything concrete on this until basketball season is over here at least. But even if basketball season's over, I'm assuming they're not going to be able to jump from then to basketball before the next basketball. They're going to have to probably at least be one year. I don't know the, the ins and outs of buyouts, but I would assume, I mean, mo, I mean, even even if you're looking at some of the college football now, I mean, you're having to have 40, you know, whatever billion dollars to buy out certain things. Well, if it's a if it's a $1 million buyout and you know that's coming, then you have the opportunity to squirrel that cash away. Um, and if it's, yeah, if it's normally, up front, then yeah, I – Well, and, and some conferences – again, I don't know. I'd love to see this because some conferences have kind of written in. That's what's gotten, you know, the Big 12, some of that, people trying to get out of it, that if you give them a two-year notice, it's a lot less than the one year. But the same year, because if you do it at the end of – basketball in March, and you're going to turn around in August to start playing in another league for other sports, to me, I, I think that buyout, uh, again, I'd have to see it. I, I, I do not, I have zero idea what the buyout is in the A-10, and even if you knew that, I don't know that there's a fine print that can tell you what all the logistics are fast enough. That being said, there's no doubt when JMU made the move, you know, the football playoffs, it, you know, there we have seen teams block them, but some of it is blocked because of the scholarship dollars. Like you're seeing Kennesaw State, like they're allowed to go ahead and put more money into scholarships. Now they don't have a league, but we've saw that last year. Jacksonville State put more scholarships into that, so they were ineligible for the playoffs in App State and some of these others. Do you have a bottom number? The CAA exit fee is one million dollars. That is the most recent number I can find. That 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 number is from a while ago, but. It probably hasn't changed. Yeah, I, my guess would be is if it has changed, the only thing it would change is on the amount of time given. Yeah. Now the SoCon has increased its buyout, its exit fee to two million dollars, and that happened during the the beginning of the the this round of realignment. Uh, the league got together and said we don't want to leave, and we want to make sure that nobody's going to be bolting for the door. 
So basically, if you're going to leave the SOCON, you're leaving for something that's really extraordinary. And you don't even have to, honestly, you don't even have to have all the money or if you borrowed the money, if you didn't have it all up front, depending on what the contracts are in the new league and all that other stuff, you can yep. make it very viable. Um, my only question is, could you or could they um, pull it off quick enough to go into the other league? Be curious. It's hard to do. It's going to be there some, it's going to be some cloak it. and dagger stuff. Uh, I, I think this is going to be this is going to be cloak and dagger. But the CAA did that to themselves. So here's the other part of that too. Let me just say this before I forget this. But also that means the CAA doesn't have to share the tournament money with College Charleston. No, any tournament revenues that College of Charleston were to generate would go to the CAA and not to CFC. So I, I, there's got to be some math done there too on how much would you lose over the next. I guess four years because this is only year one of this year, and then you get five years. Yeah, yeah it gets year, right? a six-year share. It's yeah. six-year payout. Years. Okay, yeah, so you get five more. Yep. So that that would yep. be. I'd be curious to see how much they'd be leaving on the table. I, too. I would also say um, I think this is the this is where we start to see some churn for the CAA potentially. Um, Del, it's no secret that Delaware has talked about leaving. A lot of smoke about, especially after the conference added Bryant earlier this fall. I guess earlier this summer, it's still technically summer for like another week. Uh, I would not be surprised to learn in the near future that Delaware is reclassified. Um, they have talked about it for long enough, and they are now at the point where JMU was in like 2018 where they're fed up with the state of things in their conference, and they, they're they ready to move on. Uh, if they get an invite, they are gone. And I think there is some some traction there with a couple of different conferences that could maybe uh, pull them up to the next level. So if you lose College of Charleston, you lose Delaware, I don't know, that, that conference just seems a lot less appealing all of a sudden, even so, though the numbers are suddenly a lot more coherent. So let's play this game. You're Michael Cross, the SOCON commissioner. Who would you call? Wilmington. Wilmington would be my not not no that would just be my first call. First call, I would call. I mean, out of that group, I'd call Wilmington, William and Mary, and Richmond. Football only, because I doubt they'll leave a ten. Richmond is football okay. only. Yes, I just want to make sure I clarify. So that way, you're basically adding the equivalent of two full members, because UNC Wilmington doesn't have football, but you still get Wilmington and William and Mary for men's soccer and softball. And women's basketball, which are sports that you desperately need numbers for, uh, they're competitive or at least respectable men's basketball programs. And then Richmond is a respectable, they're not elite, but they're a respectable football program. And same with uh, William and Mary probably is an elite football program as long as Mike Lennon is there. We'll see how long he's there. But as long as he's there, I think they're going to be a winner. Well, that expansion would certainly, I think, help UNCG would help. DMI have had trouble, obviously. No doubt. No doubt. travel partner, so you go a little north there. Would you uh, entertain either Campbell or Elon? I think you could, I don't think you can take both if you're looking. If I'm just playing the numbers game in my head. I'm, I think I you could take one. Or do you say Elon and Campbell, but you can only take, you know, four of those or three? Oh, I technically, I guess it's still four, right? Because Richmond and Wilmington are combined. Right, essentially. Uh, because They're here, combining to create one whole team, quote-unquote. And, and I know everyone's sitting there trying to rack their brain on what the football would be, what the basketball would be. Again, for me, this is about a lot of other sports. Mm-hmm. The fact that the women's sports would have a lot more numbers to do 
Yes, it, I think basketball would be helped. I think it would help football. I know there's still people that still scream, oh, we've got to have nine, nine teams in a symmetrical eight-game schedule. Oh, my God. But, I mean, if you want more teams in the playoffs, everyone's proven it. Have everybody don't play everybody. Right. Get more teams Unbalanced schedules are more likely to get more teams into the playoffs in the, in, in the, long, in the short and long term. Um, I, I would not be opposed to all four. Um, I don't really I don't have, think they will, but I, I'm just No, I, I would – I'd almost rather have Gardner-Webb than Elon, to be honest. I don't know. I call it, Just call it a gut – maybe it's just because it's a shorter trip. I think it's about an hour, hour and a half shorter trip for us if we were to make that trip to Boiling Springs. I don't know. I just – yeah, well, yeah, it's about two. The difference in about two and three and a half hours. E- Elon and the SoCon have been down that road. I know a lot of people have turned over in a lot of critical roles since Elon left the Southern Conference, and Richard Johnson is probably going to be the last one. He's retiring at Wofford at the end of this season, I believe. Um, but, yeah, like, I don't know. That just There's not a lot of buzz in those two for me. Campbell is at li- Campbell's investing some money in facilities. But I also do remember that their baseball stadium was kind of the stadium time forgot when we went out there one time. We had a broadcast that had to be completely abandoned because you just couldn't connect on a tie line. So I don't know. Blame Harper. Yeah, the, yeah absolutely blame Harper for that. I don't know. Eh. Eh. I, w- I would definitely want William and & Mary and, and UNC Wilmington and Richmond, though. Those would be schools that I would be on board with. And if you end up going westward for expansion and you're taken from the UAC and you're taken from the OVC, that's fine. But swing big. Shoot for the moon, and if you miss, land among the stars. Let's talk football. ETSU and Austin P. I figured I'd hit the top 25 after we're doing the league in the Southern Conference. Yeah, that's fine. ETSU, Austin P. Big game for both. First FCS opponent for the Bucks. First FCS opponent that APSU stands a prayer against. And it's going down in the Ville. Clarksville. A little up I-24 from the Ville that everybody thinks of. And really far west of the Ville that people probably think of in this region, which is Knoxville. Or if you uh, enjoyed how you flew right there, uh, the flow, the glove. Um, a flu flow. Yeah. Uh, what I enjoy was watching uh, the Tennessee game a little bit more intently and listen to the announcers talk about lovely, spacious Clarksburg. Clarksburg. Uh, Clarks, Clarksburg, Tennessee, where, you know, Austin P's at. I've also enjoyed some folks, Tennessee fans, that hadn't really paid attention. Was that, was that Tennessee Tennessee broadcast? Or? No, it was the, whoever the SEC, so plus, SEC plus people. Oh, my so, God. So I'm not sure. Who they are. Uh, the other thing I enjoyed was a couple of tennis. Listen, a little bit of the Eric Ains show, a little bit of uh, the Sports Monster here in town. A couple of people talking about ETSU going for the bye game because apparently they don't know Austin P is FCS. The good news is if ETSU beats um, Austin P, the random Tennessee fans that don't pay attention to anything uh, will also hate Tennessee even more if they don't beat Florida because of that. But then also believe ETSU may be like way better because of this mythical Austin P juggernaut that is out there. I'm very confused by all of this. But let's talk about the game. I think there's a lot of similarities in Jacksonville State, especially on the defensive side. They're a little bigger up front. The front three can cause a little bit more havoc. But the linebackers, the secondary, it's really just built on speed. 
They did a great job at Tennessee uh, rallying to the football. Did a lot better job of cleaning stuff up because there were people in that Southern Illinois game when you had told me ahead of time, people were streaking down the field. I mean, it was like Will Ferrell, right, uh, where he went streaking down the quad. I mean, there were more <laughs> naked people going down the middle of the field. I mean, made Murray Bartow proud. I mean, there were plenty of people running wide, and I mean wide open in that. And I think Austin P did a good job to kind of adjust defensively there. I thought physicality. Um, I didn't really think they got out physical. I think they did get wore down like fourth quarter, and I'm okay with that because, again, the number of the, the bigger the bodies and the number of uh, millions of dollars invested into some of these athletes is a little different, and I get that. But, I mean, they weren't really outclassed um, physically uh, a lot, um, especially for me in the secondary because Tennessee tried to run that little bubble screen, mm-hmm. and the 5'10", Five nine hundred seventy five pound receivers were fighting through blocks and making plays. Now maybe they were just a little more hungry in Tennessee. Uh, we can argue over you know mm-hmm. where Tennessee's head was, especially when they just ran the same two plays the rest of the game. Yeah, and they kept it very vanilla. very vanilla for Florida next week. Yeah, it, but that being said, I think the the turn in the fight on the defensive side, I think it's going to look a lot like Jacksonville State offensively. Game one was a train wreck for them. They still have trouble running. The, it's going to sound funny. They have trouble running the football. Mm-hmm. Um, got some offensive line questions for sure. Uh, quarterback is skilled, though. I think that that's a guy that if you don't kind of keep contained, and we're going to talk to Brian Reeves about him a little bit later on, but I think if you don't keep the QB kind of in check, and it also be a throwback. They only got two running backs have touched the ball through two games. That's probably the least amount of any team in college football, period. And then they've only got a few receivers. Especially given the fact that they they were blown out by Southern Illinois and then, you know, they were never totally in the game in the second half against Tennessee. So. Yeah, so I'm, I'm very so shocked. It's kind of a throwback. I'm, you know, they've gone with here's our best players and we ain't taking them out of the game, which is, you know, pretty good. But it's a, it's a tell of two teams. Not sure what you're going to get. But I think ETSU on the defensive side of the ball, I don't know that Austin Peay is going to run a, a lot of that window dressing, shifting and things. As they did against Tennessee, they'll get back a little bit more to their base. I think they try to get cute, especially a lot in the first half, just to try to catch Tennessee in some odd numbers. That being said, if I was Austin P, I would definitely have a series where I did that a few times just to see if ETSU was going to be able to react. If they did react, then I would probably just go back to not being cute and just doing what, what, uh, what they want to do. But to me, the line of scrimmage is going to be – a major key factor because both teams have a lot of questions on the offensive line. Both teams have struggled to run the football. I think both teams have skilled receivers um, that can go make a play on the football. I think both quarterbacks, especially if Baron May is getting the call, which we believe he will, his his scramble ability, Danello's um, scramble ability is clearly – so both right. these capabilities of those guys. To me, it's going to come to – how does that defensive line, which is very similar defensively for both teams, how are those front three guys going to be able to kind of hold things up to let each group of linebackers go get? Yes. I mean, if you look at the way Billy Taylor's defense works, it's about defensive linemen. And, it, and it's a different lineman on each call. It's because um, I was looking at one that was on the board today that required, uh, I think it's the five tech, to occupy the B gap. And then the blitzing linebacker 
stunts behind that guy, and if he attacks the gap correctly, then you make the center make a decision where there's a linebacker coming from the second level, there's a rush end coming at me, I can only block one, who do I block? And the other guy is free to go get the quarterback. Um, I, I think that defensive that defensive line is going to be critical for ETSU, and their success will be very, very important. But also, Austin P runs a lot of dumb stuff where they'll bunch up four receivers. I hate that stuff. I think those formations should be illegal. But um, they'll do like the diamond receiver set. Uh, I think a lot. I think a lot of formations in, in off, offensive formations in football should be illegal. I just want 22 personnel again. Bring me 22 personnel and one split end. Let's just let's just go back to old school football. <laughs> but anyway, you've been talking to Don. No, okay. was, no, I've, I've been talking to uh, uh, NFL defensive coordinators who I think would like to see that again because they have basically uh, neutralized the deep pass. Um, it's. Well, they last year they had the lowest deep passing attempts in the NFL since 2006, which is a, a that's a long time ago and very different style of football at that time. But um, anyway, I, uh, I they do a lot of stuff to try to mess with your eyes. They shift a bunch of players pre-snap. Uh, they play in bunch formations to try to create traffic where guys can just slip through, and all it takes is one guy not doing his job uh, or one guy getting lost trying to play man coverage in a group of seven, eight bodies for one, for a big play to happen. Uh, ETSU's eye discipline also needs to be really, really strong on the back end. You're going to see the defense in funky looks just because they have to match the offense, but they're going to play a lot of man coverage, which I think opens opportunities up to get some more speed on the field. You know, that's an area where Khalil Anderson really thrives is you just sit him on one sideline and say, here's your guy, stay with your guy, ball comes your way make a play and that can be a really easy way for somebody to contribute and I think you're going to need those guys against this Austin P offense defensively if ETSU can run the football between the tackles they will they will have their way with Austin P uh, the problem is of course ETSU has not been very effective running the ball between the tackles so far this season this is a group that has a lot of speed I don't know how much how hungry they are compared to like Jacksonville State but if you throw swing passes stuff in the flats try to get some short stuff let's, let's build confidence for a quarterback they're going to get to that and they're going to tee off on your receivers and ETSU is already kind of banged up at receiver and they can't really afford that so this is a team that you need to be able to run the ball effectively against and if the Bucks can force them to put more bodies in the box and open up one-on-ones for Huzzy and Gaiardets, then they have a real shot to win this thing. Uh, defensively, again, a lot of man coverage. Bottle up Delello, get him on the ground. Don't just don't let him escape the pocket where he can burn you with his legs because he looks for every opportunity to run. It's a winnable game. I don't think you can sit here and say, "Wow, this isn't Jacksonville State." Where it's like if everything goes exactly right, ETSU can win this game. I think this is a game where ETSU can afford to make some mistakes, but there are certain critical things they have to do well in order to win the football game. And a couple of those things are things that they have not done yet this year. Yeah, I think they got to be able to run the football. I think they're still kind of finding themselves out. They had their moments uh, against Carson Newman. Obviously, Jacksonville State was a little bit tougher. Um, fair to say, Austin is going to be tougher than uh, 
Carson Newman, you know, probably not as tough overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jackson State. The other part of that is both teams struggle running football the first game because they fell behind so early. Right. And then it was just, you know, yet by nature you have to throw. But also the defense at that point doesn't have to respect a lot. They can just come and uh, blitz and all that fun stuff. So, uh, you know, ball security is going to be big. Can the offensive line, can the defense not overrun the quarterback? That's a concern because uh, DeLillo's not afraid to – to kind of look like he's going to pump fake, and he tucks, and then he's all of a sudden escape out of the pocket. Saw that against Tennessee. Saw that against Southern Illinois. So certainly something they need to be concerned about. I think special teams. You know, that was a big uh, muffed punt for Austin P in that Tennessee game. It kind of swung a little bit of the first quarter, which Austin P had a, a large advantage in at that time. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to, you know, the, the kicking game. A, a little more known commodity in the field goal kicking and a very good kicker, Maddox Trujillo, for Austin P. Brand new punter, uh, brand new kickoff man. Return guy is uh, – he, he can run a little bit. Uh, so ETSU was so successful in the kicking game last week and literally every facet of it. Can they build off that? Because that's one of those things when you're on the road, right, and talk about the hidden yardage, but it was very evident. ETSU's, their own starting field position was right around the 19 or 20. In game one, it was at the 42, game two, right? And flipped that. Jackson yes. State was at their own 42. Carson was at their own 18 or 19. So, you know, that extra 20-plus yards is huge when you, you know, talk about 10 possessions in a game. So I don't want to talk about totally everything about off speed because Brian Reeves is going to be there. I want to spend just a, a couple more seconds on some ETSU because there are some question marks. Chris Hope. Doubtful for the game if he's going to play. Um, the receiving core is now a little bit banged mm-hmm. up. We know Anaj Carter got rolled up. He has not practiced a lot. Um, he's doubtful for the game as well. There's some other walking wounded receivers. Um, uh, no starters, but still some of the backups. So, uh, you know, it's the a little bit of The depth in that position yeah. that we thought in the spring was one of the deepest groups on the team is suddenly no longer there. I mean, when you lose Isaiah Wilson, who had been a starter for you for a few mm-hmm. years, I think Adriel Clark was a guy everybody thought was going to get a little more playing time from last year's spring. Solomon Dunn's gone. So there's a lot of guys that were like, man, this was kind of a deep position. It's kind of, you know, come down a little bit. Now, the good news is if ETSU can survive this week um, and get a win, then you're talking about several guys could be back. One, Tyler Rydell could be back. I don't expect him back this week, but he – um, could possibly be back for the conference opener at Sanford. Cam Lewis could be back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Davis, DeAndre Davis could be back. You know, if Anaj or Chris Hope miss, could Carter and Hope be back? Yeah. So there, there, there is a way that the bye week, although I'm not a huge fan of it being week three, just the way things fell, you know, it might be good. Or week four, that's right, week four, sorry, because they play three weeks and they get the bye week. Week four, um, it actually may be a little bit of a blessing just because of how the injury bug um, hit ETSU kind of early. Last year, it kind of stunk to have it so late, but they were able to get a few guys back for that last three games. So uh, a lot of things uh, to consider, but I think it's going to start with the offensive and defensive lines. I agree, and uh, I, I think it's going to come down to who wins the line of scrimmage because as important as quarterback is – if you are good on the lines of scrimmage, that covers up a lot, and that can make up for a lot, and you can keep yourself in football games with really, really good units on the line of scrimmage.
Wofford. Can Wofford yeah. score points? We will find out yeah, this week against Presbyterian. Yep, uh, and then uh, the, we're not going to talk uh, pick six at all about Citadel Chattanooga. Chattanooga got off to a big start against Kennesaw State. Artopius, you know, looks to be pretty confident thrower, was able to run. Um, he, he looks like honestly, a pretty solid quarterback. He looks honest. pretty good. Their yeah. defense, though, just – Yeah, leaves. I can't figure that out. I that's, cannot figure that that's out. That's the question mark. And Citadel, Maurice said it at the beginning of the year, believe him. They're not a very good football team. The best games of the week. Or at least the ones these two dorks want to watch. It's the pick six. You pick that up all by yourself. All right, let's go quick because Brian Reeves is uh, getting ready to call in. uh, 50-yard line. Southeastern Louisiana at Eastern Washington. Eastern has given up 69 points in two games. SLU has given up 83. Who can play a lick of defense? This is going to be a 45-42 I can't call Slobberknocker because it's 45-42. Uh, it's a track meet. Just a, yes, just a track meet and when in doubt, go home team, Eastern Washington. Um, I'm going to go Eastern Washington as well. They played Fresno really tough last week. Uh, I thought they – I mean, they, they weren't – they're not in the same class as North Dakota State, which is wild to say anymore for Eastern Washington, but I think they are still the better team here. So I am also going to pick the Eagles. So hopefully we are either both right – or we are both wrong. 40-yard line, Incarnate Word and Abilene Christian. Massey has the Birds as a slight favorite over the Cats. If ACU wins in Abilene, is it, an, uh, is it a major upset in your mind, given the fact that they started the season 2-0? I don't know it's a major. I think it's an upset. I don't know major. I know Incarnate Word... I mean, we've talked about it. I don't know if we talked about on-air, off-air, but the fact that there's a chance that, you know, they're, they're going to roll through the rest of their schedule. Um, is this is this a game that, that could trip them up? And I, I'm I, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to take these slight ups. I, I think it's a it's an ups. I don't think it's a major one, but I do think just because Abilene Christian's at home, they're obviously not chopped liver. Incarnate Word's coming off the big year last year, but there's you know still a coaching change. There's still some stuff going on. So I'm going to try to, to lean on that and take Everly and Christian. I'm going to take Incarnate Word. Um, because the bird? Everybody's heard about the bird. Mm-hmm. Nobody's heard about the cat, though. Yeah, that's true. It's good. That, that, I do think ACU is a, a team that can be relevant at the end of the season. But this is, this is where Incarnate Word really starts to flex its muscle, I think. They've had a couple games to get some things together. I thought their run game looked okay against UTEP, but it's just you know, there were some mistakes made, and the defense didn't didn't live to their end of the bargain a couple times. Um, a Calzada is everything that you think he is. I, I'm going with Incarnate Word. Uh, 30-yard line, Kansas State at Missouri. Eli Drinkwitz refused to call K-State offensive coordinator Colin Klein by his name in the press conference. <laughs> i tell you how much I don't like Drinkwitz, and that goes back to his App State uh, days. Uh... I believe he had the one-year stint when ETSU played up there last uh, 20. Is there anyone from App that you like other than Adam Witten? Uh, yeah, David Jackson, man. Come on, man. Oh, yeah, DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. D- no, everybody, no, well, no. everybody Mike loves Flynn, DJ. Mike Flynn, who's now the uh, head SID over at, uh, where is he at? He's at uh, Georgia Tech. No, oh. no, no. The worker, just like chat. I like a lot of chat workers. I don't like the fact they work at chat. I don't like chat, but the people – uh, are there now coaches at chat I do not like and coaches at App State? No, I do not like. So 
No, I think a lot of people are starting to get that way with Drinkwitz and Satterfield, though. But, but, but Drinkowitz was one of those, yes, but the App State folks, I don't think really like Drinkowitz and Satterfield. So um, I'm going to go K-State. <laughs> no, I think, I think Missouri is going to win the game, but I don't like Eli enough to pick him in any event. How do you like that for analysis? Give, give, me, give me Chris Kleiman all day. I agree. Kansas State. That's your boy. CK 24-7. That's your boy. Uh, well, actually, that's Chris Davis, twenty four seven. He was Mister twenty four seven. He he batted two forty seven like five years in a row. Let's go. And then his first home run of the last year, where he batted two forty seven, was hit at two forty seven p.m. No, Pacific time in Oakland. That was wild. It was I, I loved it. That was that was that was the coolest thing. Um, and I don't think he ever trademarked that, and he should have. But then the next year, he hit like two thirty six, and he he got he got released. Uh, anyway, 20-yard line, Southern Illinois at SEMO, the fifth, I believe it's fifth annual war for the wheel, but these two teams have met nearly annually since 1913. So Southern Illinois has certainly been the talk of the town, not so much for what they did to Austin P, but going to northern Iowa. We talked about, we thought that was, of course, you picked it right, I was wrong, but that we thought Southern Illinois had a legitimate shot. You were smart enough to pick them to win. And so sometimes you can fall in love with that. People really don't know about SEMO, so... I could see, you know, you want to go against the grain and go SEMO, but that's not me today. I'm usually against the grain guy, but today I'm going to ride the Salukis, and I'm going to take Southern Illinois. I think the Salukis are a seed at the end of the year. I think the Valley ends up with three teams getting seeded. They look that good. Nick Baker is a, is the truth. Yes, he's fun to watch. Uh, he's really a, a electric to watch. I think they got some really good weapons around him. Nick Hill knows what he's doing with that position and, and with that offensive group. And defensively, they just make enough plays. It's, it's just they've, they've got playmakers back there. I mean, they held Austin P to, uh, I want to say, one touchdown with their ones on the field. They held Northern Illinois to 11 points with their ones on the field. Uh, the SEMO the team, I think, could still have a nice year. But I was one of those people that was a little bit bearish on them coming into the season. I just feel like, you know, if you're an OVC team, you really got to earn it. This is their chance to prove it. But I, I just think Southern Illinois is too much better. Ten-yard line, firm to Kennesaw State. So, Kennesaw State watched the chat game. You were keeping me up to date um, on the Tusculum game. And the only thing I've noticed huh. is that Kennesaw State is not a first-half team. And no. for whatever reason, they are they refuse to play football in the first half and have been very good second-half teams. But they need to play a full game against Furman. And Kennesaw State's in that weird – they're not playing for anything. They only have nine games. And – Talked to plenty of folks at App and Georgia Southern and some of these other schools, even Jacksonville State folks, about the weird last year. Now, Jacksonville State ended up going 9-2, and two, so they were kind of against the grain. But I, I think Furman is just got too many things, and I think Kennesaw State's kind of looking to next year. After this game, we will only have six more chances to watch the Kennesaw State Owls in 2023. That's six too many. They're no, you're right. It, it is six too many. Given the state of this team, yeah, that's 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 definitely six too many. Uh, Paladins are the Paladins are better than Chattanooga, so I expect them to not nearly squander a what three score lead. Was it twenty to nothing at halftime, and they won it twenty seven twenty? They will not squander a near three score lead. Give me the Paladins comfortably. Goal line: Western Carolina, Eastern Kentucky. Do the Catamounts have a letdown after they thrashed the league favorites 
in Cullowee last week? I, I think they do. I think they do, and I think it's I think it's kind of like North Alabama. Like you know, they got a big emotional win at home. They were able to get some some things go their way. I do like their offensive line. I do think that offensive line is going to be for real uh, for Western Carolina. But I think no pun intended, the perfect storm kind of hit uh, in that game on a few different uh, things against Sanford. I think West Carolina is going to be a shot to be a real contender in the Southern Conference. I think on the road at EKU right after that big win is a tough ask, so I'm going to take EKU at home. Another game with a great atmosphere, but that off the line play travels. That's the other thing about it is offensive and defensive line play travels as well as anything in the sport. And when you're consistently good up front, you can go into another team's house and compete. I think Western Carolina can do that. Uh, and I think if Cole Gonzalez plays the way he played last week and not the way he played against Arkansas, they're going to be fine. Give me the Catamounts. I think this is this is, and this is the moment, right, where we determine is this Western Carolina team different? Because Cats teams in the past could put it all together for one game, right? But then they fall apart next game, come out flat, get wrecked by somebody that, that they shouldn't have gotten wrecked by. I think this is the year they put it behind them and say, we have not done the job. The job is not done now that we've whooped up on Sanford. We need to go do that to every other team at this level if we want to be where we want to be, where we think we can be. And if Kerwin Bell's got them all bought into that mentality, then Western Carolina is a contender for the SoCon title in 2023. Give me Western Carolina with a win in Richmond, Kentucky. Point after, have to pick an underdog, uh, preferably a sizable underdog. Uh, you do not have to uh, – It's like it does not hurt you if you get it wrong, but it helps you if you get it right. So there are some conference games that are being played, and when you go to a conference game, I want to go – I love to find these games where an underdog and one of the longest standing rivalries in college football ever gets together. And then I went with uh, the Big South OBC combination of uh, Tennessee State and Gardner Webb. You like that build up, dude? Touche. I'm going to well take done. Tennessee State. The Fighting Eddie Georges had a big win against Arkansas Pine Bluff at home. Gardner Webb, I thought, had a spectacular. Um, Thought they were going to win, blow it against Elon, ended up coming back to win last week against Elon. They're riding high, but they're going to go on the road. And I think Tennessee State and Nashville is going to hold serve. Tennessee State over Gardner-Webb. Uh, give me Sac State over Sanford. I'm sorry, no, Sac State over Stanford. Give uh, Over None Sanford, too. S- some of them. Okay. Yeah. Sac State over Stanford. Sac State is the best or second-best team in the Bay this year, and Stanford is not. You want to talk to Brian Reeves? I really do. Let's do it. play-by-play man for Austin P And, Bron, I want to talk to you first, not about the beginning of the season for the Governors, but this is a matchup that was supposed to be played in 2020. Austin P comes up in 2019. Bucks were supposed to go down there. Obviously, the world stopped or whatever happened, and uh, people just played some conference games, and it didn't happen. Now we fast-forward and we get the makeup game, but it's been a long time, I think, since the last time I saw you. 
It, it's been a while. First and foremost, glad to be with you too today. Yeah, I, I'm glad we're going to call this game without having to wear masks, without having to be distanced from each other. Um, unfortunately, that's still a thing that exists some spots in our world, but uh, I'm just thrilled that we're getting back on the football field for a, an old rivalry that's finally getting renewed between these two teams. You will want to keep your distance from Santos, though, on game day. I've heard he's, he's added onions to his pregame meal. Uh, that's like that's just a new thing for him. I don't know, vitamin C intake or whatever it is. But, uh, yeah, maybe, 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 maybe keep it, give him a wide berth anyway. But, uh, Brian, uh, this, this Austin P team, obviously coming in 0-2. Uh, Southern Illinois, I think everybody would tell you, uh, wish it could have gone better. Fought really hard against Tennessee. But um, do you really think that we have a complete sense of where the governors are going into the the real meat and potatoes of 2023 or does this team still have a lot more to show people you think do they think they have more to show people i think there's more to show and for us it starts with showing and finding a run game you know you go back to as you said the loss to southern illinois the inability to run the football just 39 yards on the ground uh really kind of threw our offense into a one-dimensional phase that is not a comfort level at all for governor fans Last week, you had 79 yards on the ground net. If you take out the sack yardage, you got almost 180 on the ground. Uh, that's the difference. We've got to get that balance. If we become just strictly one-dimensional and you're asking Mike DeLillo to just become a pocket passer, that's not his strength. We've got to mix in the run-up game. We've got to mix in the RPO game to let defenses play honest against us, and that's where we still have to show. There's some things that may have been you know, tucked away or not shown. You know, I, I don't get into all that in the first couple of games. Uh, but now I, I think it's time is if you've got it in your deck of cards, you've got to show it at this point. We're playing FCS football now, and now there's this push for to play in November and December, and it's got to start for our governors this weekend finding a run game. I want to start with Danello because, you know, he kind of jumps off the page with his athleticism, and then you just look statistically. I mean, he's, what, four yards away from 5,000 career rushing yards. He's almost 7,000 yards uh, for total offense, so – I mean, he's a guy that clearly, number one, seen a lot of college football, but number two is productive in many different ways. He is, and he's a guy that at the end of last year, and if you talk to Scotty Walden, if you talk to Mike DeLillo, by the time we got to Kennesaw State and by the time we went to Alabama, they were almost calling the same script, meaning, uh, you know, I hate to use the phrase finishing each other's sentences, but that's where they were. That's how Mike had developed in this offense. And now you give him another spring, another summer, and now fall camp getting into. Uh, he knows DeLillo knows exactly what Walden's expecting. Knows exactly what play he's setting up coming forward. So uh, between the ears, maybe the more impressive part. But you're right, athletically, like you said, just four yards away from reaching 5,000 on his Austin Peay career. Uh, he's just one of those guys that maybe a little short in stature, but, you know, it's always about the fight inside the dog. is one of those guys that will fight you tooth and nail from the first whistle to the last. Talk about the, the difference, because I watched the Southern Illinois tape, I watched Tennessee, just the amount of shifts and unbalances and things that, you know, Austin people is doing what a lot of teams do like when ETSU's been in those situations, you know, trying to find some advantage you can. They didn't show a lot of that against Southern Illinois, but certainly – against Tennessee early, they were trying to, to see what different looks and see if they could get Tennessee, you know, uh, on the wrong count. And you're, you're exactly right. Everybody at our level, when they go play a power five, has to throw some wrinkles in. You know, we, we threw in the double pass. Uh, we threw in the oddity formation with tackles out in the three-man line. 
it's one of those things where we're going to use motion. I mean, motion for us in this offense is normal because you're trying, as you said, in an RPO style, read the reaction of the defense. Uh, whether it's they leave someone single coverage on a wide out, whether they, the linebackers get caught in too much traffic between the ta- defensive tackles and, and we can kind of wash them out. The, the motion game for us is a normal piece. Uh, you saw a lot more of it, as you said, on Saturday against Tennessee than you did against Southern Illinois, just because we knew how disciplined that Southern Illinois defense was going to be. That's a quality group, and we saw them pick up a big win last week over Northern Illinois, which takes the sting out of our loss a little bit, but not much. But that option piece and that motion piece for us uh, has become commonplace and is a staple, and it sets up the next play. It sets up a group of plays, whether it be jet sweep, whether it be you know student body right behind those motions. Uh, there's going to be a lot of pre-snap movement for this governor team moving forward. Brian, I want to ask you about the defensive side of the ball. Uh, obviously, the departure of Antoine Williams, who's an all-A-Sun linebacker a year ago, was uh, a, a tough one to take. Uh, he ended up at uh, Western Carolina, so we're going to see him a little bit later in the year, and he's made his presence felt already in the SOCON. But it seems like a lot of new faces in new places along this defense, whether it's just you know young guys having to rise up to new spots or it's transfers that have come in to try to add as much as they can to the defensive side of the ball. How much do you think this group is still trying to figure out, and how much time do they need realistically to get to where they, they want to be? Because, I mean, particularly watching the Southern Illinois game, it seemed like a lot of speed, but still some guys trying to figure out how to, 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 to blend the seams in their zone coverage that got busted up by some big receivers and some tight end play. Uh, you said it. There's a lot of speed, but sometimes speed gets you out of position quickly, and that's what we saw against Southern Illinois. I think we played a very disciplined game and uh, uh, maybe a, a lesser game plan, if you will, against Tennessee. You know, three returning starters, Javon Young on the uh, defensive end, or he's really listed as a tackle, but with a three down, he becomes the end. Uh, Jose Nifley Jr. is a linebacker for us. And then our spur, which is Corey Chapman, a guy that was a preseason all-UAC selection for us, uh, flies all over the field. You'll see him at every level. He may stand up as a stand-up defensive end on the line. He may be a fourth linebacker, of course, roaming the defensive backfield, covering tight ends out of, out of the, off the line. So that defensive backfield, you're right. You know, with some new faces, you know, a couple of transfers in, Xavier Smith is one that you'll hear a lot of. Uh, one of Coach Prime's cast-offs from Colorado landed in the Queen City. And then Michael Rutland, Jr., is going to play a little free safety for us, originally from Mount Juliet, which from Clarksville to Mount Juliet, about 30, 35 minutes. Right. But this young man went to Princeton and has already graduated with a medical degree and now working on some doctorate work. Uh, so he's impressive just as a person, let alone to see him play on, on the defensive side of the football for the Governors. But the key for us is that front three. They may not have stops. They may not have – Uh, the flashy numbers, but they've got to occupy that front and allow that second level with Nifley, with Long, with Sam Howard uh, to to roam in that linebacker spot. You saw that Saturday against Tennessee. They they led the team in tackles. Uh, Sam Howard's a young man that's finally healthy and can keep him on the field, and I dare say he'll be one of the best linebackers in the United Athletic Conference for us this year. I'd just like to know how fast you're going on I-24 if you get to Mount Juliet in 35 minutes. Uh, I know I know a lot of back roads. <laughs> uh, hey, we're talking to Brian Reeves, play-by-play guy for the Austin P. Governors, ETSU, and Austin P. obviously playing this Saturday, 7 o'clock pregame show on the Buccaneer Sports Network at 5.30. And you, you mentioned a couple of guys I wanted to talk about in the secondary. But the reason I want to talk about it is because I felt like at some point Tennessee 
looked out and said, man, these guys are 5'9", 5'10", 170, 180. We're just going to throw a bubble screen, let our big physical wide receivers just wear them out. And I thought Austin P did a phenomenal job on almost every play of blowing up the bubbles and really fighting through blocks and not allowing Tennessee to get sort of that short bubble game going. I agree, and I'll start with the two corners because I think this is a great story to tell for us. Tadarius Dawson starts at a corner, wears number one, and as you said, undersized, 5'8", 176. Transfers to us two years ago from Tuskegee, a D3 school. Then on the other side, Jerome McIver transfers to us from uh, Lenore Ryan, a D3 program, and they're both on Shield Watkins Field last Saturday uh, matching step-for-step, stride-for-stride. You know, we didn't have a pass interference penalty. There was three called against Tennessee on the on the night. So for us to get out of that style of game, and Scotty Walden even said it to us pregame, you know, this is a game where I can I can live or stomach two or three because we don't want to get burnt deep. Never never allowed it to happen. So yeah, I think our cornerbacks are are solid. And again, as you as you said earlier, just trying to find that chemistry in the backfield. You know, it's, to me, the most important chemistry group is that offensive line. They've got to trust each other. They got to know each other. Defensive backfield is just the same. They've got to know, hey. If I let this guy go on the release towards the post or, or slant in, somebody's picking him up. And I think, as you said, we, we got out of position a couple times against Southern Illinois because we didn't have that trust and knowledge. I think it's coming along with this group. The more and more snaps they get together, the better they'll look. Taking a look at special teams, uh, and you got a special guy in Maddox Trujillo. He's on a lot of watch lists, and he's kicked uh, uh, very well for the Governors. Uh, talk about him and what he brings as far as a kicking game. And then Riley Stevens, who's handled kickoffs last several years, but now has been thrust upon to handle the punting as well. Yeah, our punter now punts for Oregon. So the, 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 the nature of the beast of college football today is that transfer portal. And when somebody has a great year or great numbers, they end up in another uniform, it seems like. so. But we wish him the best and we move on. I'll tell you this, it's automatic, Trujillo. And uh, we, we give him the nickname. <laughs> we love it. Yeah, so we'll keep that going as long as he keeps making them for us, especially a young man out of Flowery Ranch, Georgia. Uh, came here just to kick field goals and extra points. Doesn't care about kicking off. He can. Doesn't care about punting. He can. Um, but you, he's exactly the, the chemical makeup, the DNA that you want from a kicker. He's just as calm and as cool. And if you didn't know any better, you'd think you have a, a – a fruity drink and a flower shirt in his hand. He's just that kind of guy, cool and calm and collected uh, as you go. Stevens making the transition to, to punter um, ha- really re- kind of relies on Ethan Myers, our long snapper, puts it right in his belly, uh, gives him great time to go. Uh, over half of Riley's kickoffs have been for touchbacks, so we've got a special third piece. Uh, Coach Walden calls it the wee fence. It's not special teams. It's wee fence at Austin P uh, because he's not afraid to play those starters. You'll see starting receivers, starting running backs on special teams. Uh, he wants the best 11 versus 11 he can put out there. And so that we fence unit is very special to him. Let's talk about home game because you've had two tough road games, right? Southern Illinois is one of the better FCS teams and proved that with the win at Northern Illinois. Clearly you go play a ranked uh, SEC team at their place. You know, those are too tough. Now you get a chance, number one, uh, to play a, a, probably a better common opponent in ETSU where you're probably going to be favored, but a chance to finally play at home. Talk about what's going to be like after two tough road games just to play in Clarksville. You know, it's, it's, it's 
a few years ago, as you guys know, we put an investment, or Austin P put an investment into all the facilities, and it started with Four Terra Stadium, the rebuilding uh, of the home side. Unfortunately, you and I, on Saturday with our broadcast location, we don't get the benefits of the brand-new shiny, but it's coming. Eventually it's coming. Uh, but, you know, across the board, whether it be our football facilities, the locker room, uh, the, the weights, the nutrition area, our baseball and softball fields, you know, we're moving to a new basketball arena off campus in downtown Clarksville this year. We open up Eppenden Bank Arena for basketball. Uh, so the, the excitement in the community around Clarksville's hometown team uh, has, has grown, and that's the branding. It's Clarksville's hometown team. You don't have to drive to Nashville to go get the, the, the Titans. You don't have to make the trek down to Knoxville, which a lot of red and black did on Saturday, to get Tennessee or even go to West End to get Vanderbilt. You can stay home and see quality football, and that's the message, and it's been well-received around Montgomery County, and I hope we have a, a good crowd to see the, uh, the gold and blue come in and take us on Saturday night. And to that end, uh, Austin Peay's kind of been in the middle of FCS conference realignment, to put it mildly. You know, there was that whole adventure where the A-Sun tried to start a standalone conference, and then, uh, well, uh, Liberty left, and Jacksonville State left, and, and a couple other schools are gone too, and now it's partner up with the WAC and formed the United Athletic Conference. Uh, it's been a little bit messy, but is everybody kind of on board with the idea of the, the UAC and, and what the level of competition they're going to get out of it? So for the last three seasons, I've had to say three different conferences. As you know, we left the conference, went to the A-Sun, and as, as you just said, Jack State and Liberty took their step up. Uh, so we were left without a dance partner. You know how important that that grouping is for FCS playoff uh, bids and automatic bids. The setting with four in the A-Sun just wasn't going to get it done. As you said, had to go out west, find some dance partners, and now form the United Athletic Conference. I think we're comfortable. You know, the travel budget gets a lot different when you're flying to Utah and headed to Stephen F. Austin in two weeks to get to Texas and uh, take those games in. So that becomes a little bit more stringent. But in every other sport, we're staying in the A-Sun. Proud members of the Atlantic Sun Conference. But for football, as you all know, that automatic bid, that conference championship, mm -hmm. the ability to have a full FCS schedule to get the attention of, of the seeders and, and get the attention of the committee to get us in there, uh, we were left out last year. I, I thought we had a team that um, – deserved to get in. Uh, so, yeah, we knew how important it was going to be, and so the UAC presented an opportunity for not only us, but four members of the four football-playing members of the A-Sun and, as you said, what was left out west uh, to come together and put together what I think is a pretty, pretty solid little conference. Well, Brian, we appreciate the time, and I look forward to seeing you down in Clarksville on Saturday, my friend. Welcome to the Queen City. If you get here early enough, I'll get you across the street to Johnny's. We'll get us a honey bun and cream, and uh, pregame a little bit and have some fun and hopefully have a quality football game between two old rivals. But again, I think the great renewal between East Tennessee State and Austin P to play on a, at least a bi-yearly basis. Well, you had me at walk across the street. I didn't care what you're going to say from that point. I'm all in. <laughs> I got you, my friend. See you Saturday. All right, see you, Brian. Have a nice Friday. Should be a fun one. Appreciate Brian uh, joining us. Uh, obviously, he's had yep. a couple of games, but he's excited for FCS, and you can tell He's excited. In-state rivalry, the old OVC renewed because there's so many different conferences. But uh, we'll be fun. This is a game we were looking forward to 2019-2020. Let me, let me, let me lob one at you because he, he talked about the enthusiasm for playing an in-state game. We talked about conference realignment earlier. How would you feel about the Govs in the SoCon? 
I'd be fine with the Govs. I'd summer. be on board with it. Yeah. There's a couple of Tennessee schools I'd certainly be fine it's with. It's a road trip to go see my family, basically, because all my family lives just south of there. So. I mean, the new arena and the investments they put in. Oh, the yeah, the Predators did right by them. They, they, they fronted a lot of money for that arena and a new ice rink as well. Maybe they'll even start varsity hockey. I've heard that rumbling. Of course, that, that's big at Tennessee State right now. So, you know what? We'll be back Tuesday. We'll recap everything on Jay and Keith. Thank you, whatever. Varsity hockey, maybe. Oh, you got to be kidding me.